Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks a lot for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about soybean traits and seed treatments. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I will just tell you real quick, um, <laughs> we have some construction going on in the Ag PhD studio here. So if you hear some uh, some banging and loud noises, you'll, you'll know what's happening just on the wall on the other side of our studio. Uh, we are doing a little bit of remodeling in our office here. And by the way, our, our studio and our office is right on our home farm. So we get the opportunity to look right outside at our crops at certain times of the year, obviously not at this time of year. I will tell you though, normally when it's the middle of December, it's really cold and it was cold this morning. I think it was six degrees this morning, but we don't have any snow on the ground. It's amazing. So it, in terms of the snow, too, if let's say you're from an area that doesn't get any snow or much snow, I will just tell you it's one of the things that as a farmer I dread because it means an awful lot of work moving that snow. If there's no snow out there, not too bad. And actually the roads are, are good just because the weather's cold. You know, right away you might think, oh, the roads aren't the best or whatever. We like it when it gets really cold, and then there isn't even the chance that ice will stay on the road very long. It's It gets so cold here in the wintertime in January and February, ice will literally evaporate off the road. It's amazing. Uh, well, kind of amazing. I don't like the cold weather, but I do like good roads. Anyway, again, we're going to talk about soybean traits and seed treatments a little bit today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, first question. This is going to go right along with today's show from Brock in Missouri. He said, first of all, thanks for taking the time to answer everyone's questions on your show. I am a real first-generation farmer, and this is my third year of farming continuous soybeans in west-central Missouri. Looking for some ideas for seed treatments other than inoculant that I normally sprinkle into my planter boxes. Some of my ground is river-bottom ground. It doesn't drain super well, so I plant 30-inch rows on it to get some more airflow through. And I use a drill on the rest with 14-inch rows, if that makes any difference about seed treatments. Also, I've never fertilized any of my ground. All the ground that I'm farming was fallow acres nobody else wanted to farm. But I'm, I know I need to do a better job on it to start making more money. Okay, so when we talk seed treatments, and yes, we are going to get into this today for soybeans and really all crops. There are three main categories that we discuss. It's fungicides. It's insecticide and then biologicals, or as we call them, natural products. Now, in terms of the natural products for soybeans, there's one kind of big category, I would call it inoculant. And I think most soybean farmers are very familiar with inoculant. That's live rhizobia bacteria that you put on the seed. And the hope is that that, that bacteria is going to eventually reproduce and then colonize on those soybean roots to take atmospheric nitrogen, convert it over to a form the plant can use, and basically the plant gets an extra nitrogen boost for very little cost. So that's one category. In uh, On the other side, you've got all these other biological or natural products. 
and we are using a lot of different ones. In the past, Quikrits was probably the first one that we used on a, on a broad scale in corn, soybeans, and wheat. Had great luck with that. We've actually gotten better response now from products like NutriCycle, for example, but there are a number of others that are out there. So I, I would encourage you try some biologicals. That'd be great. Use inoculant all the time. In terms of fungicides and insecticide, there's really one insecticide chemical family. That's the neonic family, and neonicotinoid. And so we're talking about Poncho Gaucho Cruiser or the generic versions of those. And I would encourage you to use one of those if you're concerned about insects. They're very inexpensive, very safe, and, uh, and systemic in the plant. On top of that, fungicides. We And I don't care which crop we're talking about here, corn, soybeans, wheat, you name the crop, we really like fungicide on there. You just have to keep your costs down if you don't have, let's say, super bad disease problems every single year. So if you're in an area like we are that's dry, every once in a while, we won't have much for seedling diseases, but a lot, but a lot of times we do. Anyway, the point here is I would use multiple fungicides. We really like getting three or four fungicides out there on the seed. I don't care what crop it is, but his question or your question was for soybeans. So, yeah, I would like three or four fungicides on there. If possible, we like some of the newer ones, but there are so many different ones out there. I'm not going to go all through that, but just get multiple fungicides on. You should be in good shape. Then my last couple comments. He said river bottom. Biggest thing for me is making sure we have good drainage. So a lot of times when we have drainage issues, that negates all the other great stuff we do. But when you have drainage problems, then seed treatments usually do pay a little more. But even so, let's say that you had tile in this river bottom ground, your drainage was then pretty good. You know, a lot of times that river bottom ground is heavy, has lots of nutrients, and so I can understand why you hadn't put much out there for fertilizer, but I would encourage you to at least soil test and see at some point you're probably going to be running low and then you got to get more fertility out there. When we compare corn and soybeans, soybeans need more potassium in relation to that corn in terms of the grain removal from the crop. So Usually we go heavier on K and a little lighter on phosphorus when we talk soybeans. And on corn, it's the exact opposite. We go a little heavier on phosphorus, a little bit lighter on K, as long as the soil has a good amount of potassium. Because the corn crop and all crops need lots of K to build good stalks. But the K doesn't remove that much from the field when you only take the grain. Most of the K is in the stover. And by stover, I mean roots, stalk leaves, everything other than the actual grain. Uh, anyway, I, I, I would just wish you the best of luck. And yes, it is challenging when you are you are a first generation farmer, but it's also pretty exciting. And this is a fun industry to be in. Lots of technology out there. Just do your best to continue learning and keep trying new things. And you've got some challenging ground to work with too. So you get to learn a lot of things right off the bat. So that's that can be fun too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's about time. 
Applied at planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriophil moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our topic by popular demand is soybean traits and soybean seed treatments. Lots of changes going on in that part of the industry, and it's really exciting to learn about some of the new things. We've got Jeff Spieler with us right now, who's a technical agronomist for DeKalb Asgrow. And Jeff, I can guess which new excitement or which new trait you're most excited to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's been a been a crazy year for that but yeah with the extend flex that's where most of our lineup is gone you know it's interesting too because there's been a lot of stuff around dicamba the last few years as, as everybody's well aware and i i can't believe how many farmers i've talked to said you know what i'm planting extend beans no matter what but man if they could get extend flex with that liberty option now i'm really set yeah right so i mean it's it gives a little more flexibility right i mean it a lot of guys are comfortable with spraying the dicamba and, and have done a pretty good job of it. Some guys, you know, especially when you start talking about calendar days and if we get late planting, just that ability to use Liberty should they choose to. And some want to use it anyway, you know, and they won't don't feel comfortable using dicamba. So it's yeah, it's it's opened a few more doors and allow guys to have a little more flexibility that way. All right. So anytime there's a new trait that comes out, everybody's always thinking about, well, can I switch over my whole lineup from extend to extend flex right off the bat? Or maybe I was planting Liberty link soybeans. Can I switch over entirely to extend flex year one? I know it probably varies a little bit depending on maturity group that you're in. Yeah, it really does. You know, so um, the, the amount of uh, extend flex products varies in our lineup, obviously by maturity, a lot more, you know, group three and group two products versus group one and group zero, but there's still 
a fair amount of products to choose from. But, you know, we always tell guys, and we we have for years, that, you know, get comfortable with genetics first, right? So we got to make sure we're we're meeting the needs from a yield standpoint and a defensive standpoint, you know, from d- disease-related issues and things. And, and you know, a lot of times that, uh, from a comfort standpoint, guys don't really want to go more than 30%, 40% new products on a given year. And, and that still holds true, right? I mean, it's, we, we don't want to completely shift over somebody's um, portfolio just to grab a new trait. Now, if it makes sense agronomically and, and, and yield comfortable uh, is comfort there, that's okay, right? But uh, still, I, I think we got to look at genetics first and make sure we're doing the right thing that way and then make that decision. Yeah, I think there are a lot of considerations there. I agree with you. We've got to have good genetics that are going to yield, going to perform, have the defensive things that we need. But it is pretty enticing when you can can spray that additional herbicide out there, especially with some of the tough weeds we've got. You mentioned to to start off that some guys super comfortable spraying dicamba, other guys are still a little bit nervous about it. What did you see? What were some of the things that the growers were doing that made the dicamba work so much better for some growers, and and how they just completely avoided problems? Right, you know, so you know, it, it's a lot of the things that really comes down to just just following that label, right? I mean, it, you you can do a good job with it, you know, but I think some of the critical things are are keeping that, that pressure up. So that's probably the biggest thing I've always seen with, with issues guys have had is, you know, they've they've gone to their correct nozzle, they're using the, the correct additives, but yet they're, they're nervous about keeping that pressure up with those nozzles, right? So, uh, you know, they all know more pressure, smaller droplet size and such, and, and they get nervous when they when they think about more pressure, but really, I think, you know, from a from a coverage standpoint and performance standpoint, I think we really you know need to keep that pressure up um, with those nozzles to get that good coverage. And and that to me, that's that's been really the key to it, right? So whether you're talking about controlling your broadleaf weeds or your volunteer corn or whatever, is just just like Liberty or a lot of chemicals, you know, we got to keep that that coverage up. So that pressure is a key thing. Yeah, there's always a fine balance there and, and really great recommendation. We're talking with Jeff Spieler here, who's a technical agronomist with the Cal Basgro, about how to make that Campbell work and, and you know, there's been some more refinement done to the labels as as the Dicamba products have gotten reapproved now and, and extended. And it really comes down to following that label. There's a lot of research that went into that to make it work. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and good luck here heading into the spring. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Let's head down to Iowa. Got Dean Grossnickel with us right now with Syngenta. And Dean, we're talking about traits a little bit. We're also talking about seed treatments. And I wanted to follow up with you about Saltro. I know there is a lot of acres of Saltro that get out this year. And from what I saw, there's some value there, especially with SDS, but also with soybean cyst nematodes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that's one of the, the kind of the key secrets that gets lost. And I, I mean, Saltro. We had a phenomenal year this last year, and, and it's the introductory year, and, and uh, really showcasing what it can do for, uh, you know, protection from SDS and that sort of thing. But also, um, yeah, it does do well with uh, soybean cyst nematodes and that, but uh, it gives you a lot of protection there without, uh, you know, some of the phytotoxicity that, that sometimes you can run into. 
for a lot of the growers that we talk to, we Brian and I get really excited about seed treatments because there's so much change happening and new things coming <laughs> out, and we think this is awesome. And if Saltro or something, if you're listening today, you say, oh, what's this Saltro that Dean's talking about? Oh, guys, if you've got nematodes, if you've got SDS, you better start getting familiar with that. It's a really nice product. But you've got more coming, Dean, and I think Viantis is going to be out this year too. Can you talk to us about anything that's coming out in the pipeline and other things growers should be looking for this year? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, you you are totally correct when it comes to to seed treatments, both from a soybean standpoint and then what's coming out on corn and that sort of thing. You're right. Uh, Viantis is a new one that that we're launching this this year. We're going to have some trial product out in uh, um, you know, sporadically throughout the countryside. And what Viantis is is it's a new pythium compound, and uh, it's uh, uh, showing you know great excitement in this because there is some strains of pythium out there that are that are getting resistant to some of our old seed treatments uh the old methanoxums of the world now it's it you got to do a lot of testing to understand do i have that resistant strain or not a lot of times it's in that ohio river valley you know out in ohio got a couple of pockets i think in southeast iowa that that possibly have this but to really understand if you have it or not you got to do some testing but this viantis um it, really does a, a great job of picking up those strains that, that we've been missing in some of these uh, other seed treatments. And you're going to see that launched in corn here and then soybeans as well in a new uh, compound called the uh, Cruiser Max Apex, I believe they're going to call that uh, later on in the future. But, uh, um, again, a lot of excitement there. And then that's going to be followed up right on the heels you know, in 2023 on another compound that's going to have excellent nematode and uh, SDS properties. So this 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 is really really exciting. Uh, the seed treatment space and uh, and you know as well as I do, we purchased the biological in in Valagro, uh, their uh, company. So I would expect to see some some exciting stuff come in that channel as well here in the Syngenta portfolio. Well, it is fun. And here's the other thing that I would challenge growers listening today. And if you're if you're hearing this, you're saying, ah, I don't really know how to evaluate these seed treatments other than just looking at yield data in the fall. I I would say this just plan on doing some root digs this year plan on getting out there and looking and when you see those plants that boy that one just doesn't look quite right or i see the roots not just perfect on this one find out what these diseases are take a look and see because like you say pythium is getting to be a bigger issue i know last year it sure was again and we've got a couple of modes of action out there but we've got a brand new one now coming that that just brings that much more excitement we haven't had this much focus for the most part dean and my experience, guys, have said, well, here's what I use. And it was, well, I use Apron Max or or, yeah. or Acceleron or whatever. Well, that's fine, but keep a look at these new things. They're pretty good. Well, that, that's right. That's right. It's all about getting that plant, especially as we move these planting dates earlier and earlier. We're in those cool, wet environments. It's all about how fast can I get that plant up and out of the ground to start photosynthesizing and get us on the on the right track to more yield and and so that's really what those seed treatments are designed to do to get us up out of the ground quickly protect our plant and uh, and keep that evenness of plant stand that we spent all this money on on these planters and that sort of stuff to do the best picket fence kind of stand that we can might as well have a good seed treatment to, to go along with it to to uh, maximize our potential ROI. That's a great way to put that. We're talking with Dean Grossnickel with Syngenta down in the state of Iowa. Dean, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you.
I like that comment. We've spent all this money getting our planters up to snuff so we can do this awesome job planting. We've got expensive seed with all these great traits and everything in it. Don't skimp on the seed treatment. we got to do the best we can to get the seed out of the ground. We'll talk more about that and take your calls and questions coming up after this. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe next spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed treatment from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking to have your seed pre-treated with Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm, and you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster herbicide here to help. Got resistant weeds? Add Tough 5EC as your post-emergence tank mix partner to deliver the knockout punch to Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds, especially resistant strains. Tough 5EC is manufactured by Beltram Crop Protection, an agrochemical company focused on providing innovative products with strong technical support. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Today in the show we're talking a little about soybean traits and seed treatments. And even if you don't farm uh, and raise, even if you don't raise soybeans, is what I'm trying to say, uh, the seed treatment conversation goes to all crops, really. All crops. Seed treatments are unbelievably important. So we'll talk more about those in just a second. Before we get to that, though, 
uh, the seed treatment side. Let's talk about the trait side. And Darren, I was just thinking about what are the commonly asked questions we get about soybean traits today. And I would say the number one thing is yield. So the newest traits out there, uh, probably it's the extend flex. Once you say well, that's the one we get the, the most thing. yield questions on right now. Here's the thing. First of all, uh, the extend platform yielded great. It was out for a number of years, longer than these other new ones. And so they'd worked a lot of the kinks out and they had good defensive packages on a lot of those varieties. Like if you needed something with white mold protection, you needed something really good on SDS. You needed something that, you know, you just pick it and, and you could find that and extend. And then all of a sudden dealers are out there talking to farmers saying, well, we're going to go enlist or we're going to go extend flex. And farmers usually get nervous about that because it's, oh man, don't force me to change from something that I like. Now, if it was, hey, I have a new extend variety, well, most farmers would be like, oh, awesome, let's take the new one. But since it was a trait platform switch, they're nervous about that. And I think that's really generating a lot of this because you look at the yield data from this fall and all three trait platforms, extend, enlist, and extend flex have good yielding stuff. Yes, I agree. Uh, so we're going to come right back to that. We just want to get to a caller real quick. Again, Evan calling in from Iowa. Hey, Evan, how are you? Hey, guys. Uh, elementary question here. You guys, when you guys apply your water treatment lime, yep. do you guys account for the water weight? Of course. So okay. all limes, everybody's going to account for the water weight. That That's basically factored in when you look at at each product because ultimately what we're really after is effective calcium. So if I've got lots of water, that means that percentage-wise out of that, I have less calcium in there. So anytime you get your lime analyzed, it's going to say, or at least it should, say how much moisture is there. So yes, you've got to account for that somehow, some way, because ultimately we need to deliver a certain amount of calcium. Okay. All right. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Evan. Bye. So, yeah, right. when it comes to yield, Brian, I, I do think that the yield is there. So here's here's why I say this, and and I, I don't really care which trade platform that you decide to go with on your farm. Go with the one that works best for you and go with the one that has good varieties for you because like uh, what Jeff Spieler was saying earlier, you know what? Some of these new trade platforms, they don't have things into every maturity. So they don't have double zero soybeans yet, or maybe they don't have much for group fours and fives. So you have to stay with what you got, and that's fine. But if you're in between and you say, hey, I'm planning a group 3.0, and there's all kinds of good yielding in less three E3s, all kinds of good yielding extend, and all kinds of good yielding extend flex, they're going to be pretty similar because when those new trait platforms come, the first selection criteria that the breeders have after just did we get the trait into it is does the thing yield? And they look for it has to yield first, or they won't even take it. And then after that, it's all the defensive things. So you can say, well, do the new Extend Flex Beans have all the SDS protection that my old Extends have? I would say, no way. There's not a chance in the world they do. Now, there may be a variety here and there that does, but across the board, the whole platform, no. That's where you got to be careful is make sure you're getting those defensive traits and the genetics, as, as Jeff was saying, that, that you need. But in terms of just straight up yield, yeah, there's good yielding products in all those trade Yeah, platforms. except for, Darren, there's all kinds of misinformation out there. Companies that don't sell or don't want to sell or don't have a supply of certain traits, they're going to be telling people, oh, that trait doesn't yield. <laughs> and I get so tired of that. 
we do all kinds of research in multiple states, and we have for years and years and years. And we've been testing enlist versus extend. And I would tell you, on average, across all the enlist extend stuff, and it's thousands of trials, they're the same for yield. Now, the extend flex has been a little bit less, but that's mainly because there were only a few varieties, and we didn't have necessarily the right defensive things. We didn't; They weren't able to be placed properly. So you're going to see that extend flex really expand here, even in one more year. But to Darren's point, we're pretty confident with the extend flex right now. We're extremely confident with enlist and extend. Darren, how about LLGT27 in 30 seconds? Are you good with yield on LLGT27? I think the yield's even better than the other ones we talked about, but uh, nobody wants the trait. That, but nobody wants the trait platform. That's what's crazy to me. I, I'm just amazed. And no, I don't mean nobody, but I, I just mean the, the percentage of acceptance of that trait compared to the others is really low, yet... When I look through independent trials across the upper Midwest this year, they're, I don't know, for the well, amount okay. of entries that they had, they won a lot of plots. Yeah, but let's stop for a second there. Way too many people are using way too much HPPD down. For example, if you go out there using Acuron pre-emerge at the full rate or Resicor pre-emerge at the full rate, and I could list a few others as well, um, you've got way too much HPPD, in my opinion— Okay, for almost every situation, there's too much. It's not gonna, it's not gonna all be gone by the following year, if especially you're in the northern half of the United States, or let's say it was southern Canada. I mean, it, it, our conditions are just not right to get rid of all that for the following year. So if that's the case, and there's any carryover at all. Well, then that's where the LLGT27 really stands out because that number 27 there, what that means is HPPD tolerance, not for all chemistries or anything else, but at least HPPD for pre. So in other words, if you had carryover, you're going to see those beans show up a lot better. All right. Uh, let's get back to the phone lines here. We've got Jim in Wisconsin with a question. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. What can I do for you? Well, I've been planting beans with a with a just a conventional drill with depth bands on it to keep it from uh, you know to hold my de- uh, my my seed depth. Yep. But I'm considering buying a a newer drill, uh, just a conventional yet. But I was going to go with a Case IH soybean special with press wheels. Yep. And I was running. I was I got six inch spacing drill now. Block every other row, go to 12. Yep. The drill I'm looking at is 7.5, and, and I would go to 15. Okay. What's your thoughts? Uh, that That's a pretty good idea. Let me ask you real quick, what are you using for a planting population today? Uh, I, I'm back down to probably uh, 140 to 150,000. What are you getting for final stands? Do you have any idea? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I did not. I did not. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay, and I'll I'll tell you the reason why I'm asking this, Jim. We get concerned about, especially the older drills, having good placement and getting as good a stand as we can, like with a planter, for example. So, yeah, we're all in favor of widening the spacing just a little bit. You're still pretty narrow at 15 inches, what you're talking about going to. But if you can get yourself, you know, with those press wheels and everything, just a little bit better better seed to soil contact we believe you'll get a little bit better stand and ultimately you should be happy with that so to get the same 
final stand, you might be able to plant 2,000 to 5,000 fewer plants per acre, and then that would, right there, help you pay for that drill over time. Okay. I did, I did do the 30-inch rows with my planter, sure. with, bean, with, uh, with the radial bean meters. Yeah. I wasn't impressed. I, I had better luck going back to my, my drill. Better luck as far as yield? Yes. Sure. Yes, Yield-wise. Yeah, we, we really like the yield of the drill. I'll tell you what got us. That is white mold. And in Wisconsin, white mold's a problem too. How often are you planting beans? Every other year? Yeah, I, I, I try not to do anything two years in a row. Okay. And the reason why I bring up even every other year, because that could eventually become a problem for you. So like on our farm, if we want to drill, we're probably going soybeans once every three years. So that, that'd be the only thing that I'm, I'm really worried about moving forward. So I'm just saying when you're picking soybean varieties, whether it's your old drill or your new drill, I would try to make sure that white mold is on my list. I would talk to my seed dealer and say, hey, just make sure you give me a good white mold bean because that's the thing that could kill you. Otherwise, we really like drilling. Narrow rows are good, and I call even 15s narrow rows, so we think you're on the right track. Sounds good to us, Jim. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks. You bet. Talking about soybean traits and seed treatments and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. I'll take predictability, where I can get it. With their CropWise Seed Selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits. And even where it doesn't. Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at nkseeds.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. 
the Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're talking about soybean traits and seed treatments today. In terms of seed treatments, the biggest questions we get, well, number one is probably uh, what's the cost? And number two is how much is the yield gain? Unfortunately, with the yield gain, it's not consistent. And one of my favorite questions I get from farmers all the time is, hey, Brian, help me find something that's going to give me a good consistent return. Um, There is almost nothing I can say in agriculture that's going to give you a good consistent return. Because as we go into the start of, I'll just give you the example, 2021, we don't know what the weather is going to be. We don't know what the grain markets are going to be. We don't know what's going to happen with a lot of different things out there. All of a sudden, we could have some some new disease show up that we were never counting on, yet our seed treatment does a great job on it. We could also, going into this spring, have a complete drought, almost no rain, and very little disease pressure. We could have a new bug show up, or we could have no bugs. We could have uh, flooding. We could have We could completely lose our crop. Or we could have some fantastic conditions and all of a sudden almost everything we do in the crop pays and pays big time. So we just simply don't know. What we always encourage you to look at is on average, does this stuff pay or does it not? So with seed treatments, I'll step back probably 30 years ago. We were using a fair amount of inoculant, especially for farmers who were in, let's call it newer soybean areas. South Dakota, for example, in our state, in 1984, I do know this number, so I don't remember the numbers before that, but I know in 1984, there were only 400,000 acres of soybeans. Today, there are about 5 million. Think about that. We've gone from 400,000 when I was in high school to today where we have five over 5 million acres. Then you look at North Dakota. I, I'm positive in 1984, there were fewer than 400,000 acres of soybeans in North Dakota. Do you know what the soybean acreage was about two, three years ago in North Dakota? And it might just get back to that in 2021. Over 7 million acres. In fact, if you added the two Dakotas together, we would be the largest soybean producing state in the United States. And in 1984, (laughs) we would have been uh, way, 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 way down the list. So anyway, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you ask about the cost to value thing, we have to start thinking about 
uh, what is really going to pay for us. And well, inoculants back then basically only paid when you were a new soybean producer. Today, inoculants pay almost all the time because the science has gotten a lot better. Back in 1984, they couldn't even identify what was a good strain versus what was a bad strain. All they knew is it was rhizobia. So today, they're able to isolate good strains. They're also much better in terms of packaging, in terms of getting it to the market with live bacteria as opposed to dead bacteria. I just remember when we used to get jugs and we'd open them up sometimes and boy, they would smell. <laughs> well, we didn't even know when they smell really bad. That basically means they're dead. So today, that's why the package packaging material is so much different for inoculant. And I realize this is a low investment. The inoculant's a dollar or two, but it's really important. If you want it to work, you want good strains, you want them alive when they get to the ground. In terms of fungicides, we have so much better fungicides than we did even 10 years ago. So I'm really excited about that. We've got this one insecticide chemical family that's really super good. Uh, and on top of all this, there are a whole bunch of biologicals now. So literally on the seed that we will plant this spring, I think we'll have about 65 treatments on that seed. And you go, what? How can you possibly get that many treatments on? Well, we can. We've got a bunch of amino acids that will be going on there, a whole bunch of beneficial microbes and fungi on top of inoculant, multiple fungicides, and uh, and and the good insecticide chemical family. You also have to be a little bit careful when you, I, so I said beneficial fungi, and I also said fungicides. Well, what's the purpose of a fungicide? It's to kill the fungi. So you have to be careful about which ones you're using and that they don't die. You also have to be a little bit careful about the water that you're using uh, to put the put these biologicals on because if you have, let's say, chlorine in there or you have other hard water ions, we, we can have issues in terms of mortality of the biologicals. So anyway, all things for you to be thinking about. But I will, to, I will say we're going to spend probably 15 bucks, maybe just shy of 15 bucks as a seed treatment. It's a lot when you figure the seed is going to cost 40 to $50. All right, I get that. But in, in terms of that, we also get free resprays, we get free replant, um, and then besides that, we, we see marked, marked stand improvement. And in terms of that, I would just encourage you, if you're trying some things, doing some side-by-sides, make sure you really track it. Don't just say, well, at the end of the year, I got this for you. That's not enough. You got to look for the stand. You want to dig up roots. And also, I'd encourage you to do side by side plant tissue analysis so you can find out am I getting more nutrients into that plant or am I not? Because if you can get a better stand, if you can have better roots and you have more nutrients going into that plant, then even if, let's say, you have a hailstorm or something bad goes wrong at the end of the year, like for us, our last, our last decent rain was July 5th. After that, we had a couple sprinkles. But, you know, we went three and a half months. Our last three and a half months of the growing season, we had basically no rain. And to still end up with really good yield, we were pretty lucky. But did all the things we did pan out like they would have if we would have had even a normal year for rainfall? Absolutely not. But if we have this evidence that, hey, I, we were able to impact these certain things, well, now you say, all right, there's a better chance that this stuff's going to pay when we get back to a normal year and actually have rain. Uh, finally, I would say, how long does the treatment last? That's one of the big questions we get from a lot of farmers. 
I think when we say seed treatment, right away we're thinking about seed. And with soybeans, sometimes it'll pop out of the ground in one to four days. Okay, well, if it does, then I often hear people say, well, there's no point in putting seed treatment on if it's going to pop out of the ground in a couple of days. No, that's not true at all. The seed treatments are going to last. They're really not. I, I get it that they are seed treatments. But what they are is seed and seedling protectors and seed and seedling enhancers. So you're usually going to see benefit for at least a couple of months afterwards. And that's, I think, a very important thing to be thinking about. So we do want to look at products that are systemic, products that are going to be long-lasting. And I will just tell you, we've seen really good benefits from seed treatments. And the way I look at it, I was mentioning earlier, we're going to probably have 65 things on the seed come spring. Part of the reason why we want that many things is something's going to hit. Now, if you only have four things on your seed, then your odds are just a lot, lot less that you're going to get a return this year. Now, you may get a return on average, and it may still pay, and that's all good. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm just saying I feel like I've got a lot better chance to have it pay for me this year when I have 65 components as opposed to when somebody might have four. All right, Darren, you have anything else you wanted to throw in on seed treatments or, for that matter, soybean treats? You know, we can we could really talk all day on this because there, yep, there is could. a lot here. I'm re- I, This is one of the things people ask me all the time, okay, what are you excited about this next growing season? This is one of the things I'm excited about is, number one, all the different seed treatments that are out there and trying some of the new ones. This is something that, as Brian had mentioned, we're really focused on in our farm because we have seen yep. it make a big difference. And all right. We ended the year in 2020 hot and dry, and our subsoil moisture is not like excessive at this point. But could that change in a hurry with the four-inch rain in the spring? Absolutely. Could that change with massive snowfall and, and just the right weather? Sure, it could. But who knows what kind of year we're going to get. And the word consistent, as soon as I heard you mention that, Brian, I'm like, oh, no, don't say consistent around Brian because he just doesn't. There's nothing that's consistent. We right, don't know exactly isn't. what's going to happen. So you have to play the odds. And the odds are something's going to catch you next year. Okay. Maybe it's going to be something like Pythium that needs it wet. Maybe it's something like Rhizoctonia or Fusarium that can do it in hot and dry. All right. So right after this break, we're going to get back to your questions. But before we go there, I just want to leave you with this one thought. Finishing up on the whole seed treatment discussion. Would you ever even dream about planting corn seed with no seed treatment on it? Would you plant corn with no seed treatment on it? Almost every single farmer is going to give you a resounding, no way, you got to put seed treatment on. I feel the exact same way about soybeans. If you have the right stuff on, it definitely pays in time. All right, like I said, we will get to your questions right after this in the Ag PhD mailbag. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. 
Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of Decal brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKal brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the Ag PhD mailbag time now, taking your calls and agronomic questions. Got this one from Lewis. He said, I recently made a calculator to develop variable rate maps for zinc sulfate based on the 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc I'm seeking. Now, I've got some areas that are calling for 75 pounds of zinc sulfate because my phosphorus levels are 240 parts per million in those areas. I'm wondering, is it safe to broadcast that amount this fall yet ahead of next year's corn crop, or should I split apply it over a couple of years? How much zinc sulfate do you say? 75 pounds. So 25 pounds of actual zinc. Um, that's a lot. Now, you could do it. Uh, would I do that much? No, no. And and when I tell you I wouldn't even do that much, I'm more aggressive than I think, almost any I think farmer. Lewis has in the probably world. listened to the show more than once. He's probably got an <laughs> so, idea that Brian's the I'll do it all in one shot exactly. kind of guy. Now here's the now, thing: we've learned over the years by trying that on a small scale, not necessarily with 75 pounds of zinc sulfate, but but with large amounts of different nutrients. In fact, at our field day a few years back, I want to say maybe four years ago, three or four years ago, we did a, a little small area there where we way overdid it. On well, we went 10x. We yeah. went 10x what a normal application rate would be with, with on every individual nutrient. micronutrient. And and it was interesting to see, you know, in some cases, yeah, we killed the crop. And in other cases, well, wait, what did we kill? Like we didn't kill anything. I thought the boron was pretty I harsh. I didn't. 
Well, yeah, I dinged it up a little bit, but it didn't kill it. Well, you <laughs> well, just said kill would it. Would you want to do it on your whole farm? No, I'm not, exactly. I'm not saying exactly. that. I'm not saying that, but you said kill it. It didn't actually uh, kill it. There's some plants that were dead. Okay, well, I, I, don't, I didn't think that there were. But anyway, the point is this. I would not put on 75 pounds of zinc sulfate in one application. I would do it over a two- or three-year period. Now, here's the other thing I want you to think about. How much phosphorus are you going to remove in a year? You can actually drop your phosphorus levels with some really good yields. You can drop your phosphorus levels relatively quickly. Your zinc levels, you can't drop relatively quickly. Okay, so let's say you do get this 25 pounds of actual zinc out there. That's 12 and a half parts per million. How long would it take you to get back to five parts per million with a fantastic crop? I mean, years, years and years. Whereas you could get those phosphorus levels down faster. So all I'm getting at here is, I don't know what your plan moving forward is, but let's say you weren't, you didn't have a livestock operation where you have to get rid of manure every year. You're, you just have a regular farm and you're going to use commercial fertilizer and you realized, oh, I got some areas that are 240 parts per million. Um, you can get those lower. You can let them drop. You don't have to apply phosphorus for a few years. And you could get those levels back down to what I would like, which would be like 100 parts per million, for example. So then you don't need quite as much zinc. So you see where I'm going with all this. So if let's say that was your plan, well, then I would just be running a, like a two by two or a starter, some sort of starter zinc in addition to maybe a little bit of zinc sulfate. So anyway, something for you to think about there. Okay. I appreciate that question. Um, let's dive into a drainage one at the risk of taking up the whole rest of the show with drainage. Uh, this one comes from Jeff. And I, no offense, Jeff. I just know Brian likes to get talking about drainage a lot. And Jeff said, I've got a hay field with a drainage issue. I've got uh, orchard grass and clover. Would also consider going Timothy or alfalfa. But after listening to your show, I was excited about the drainage. But I did catch a comment where he said grass roots could potentially clog up the tile. Yes. So wondering what are options on getting some drainage in this field if the grass roots eventually do hurt my tile. Should I be deeper with my tile yes. or, or different types of tile? What yep. would you do? I would suggest going deeper with the tile lines. Uh, you know, you could put sock tile out there, for example. So how deep? Or narrow deep slot would you put tile? Well, uh, would no, four feet be enough well, to get away where, from Where is he that? from? It doesn't say. Okay. And that's the whole thing. Uh, in my area, all right, where we get 22 inches of total annual precip, I like having our tile lines at three feet, maybe even two and a half feet deep. A lot of farmers bare, we work with in Minnesota. Where equipment's right, not going to crush. That's right. That's right. A lot of farmers that we work with in Minnesota and Iowa, they want their tile lines at four feet because they get 50% more rainfall than we do, and they just want more water holding capacity in that soil, more a bigger reservoir. So I don't know what your standard thing would be, three or four feet. Okay, let's just say it's three, three feet. If I was three feet here for me, if I was going to do permanent stuff like alfalfa, grass, it was always going to be alfalfa or grass, and those stands are going to be in there for many years, I'd probably try to be five or six feet deep. That's just my initial thought. So here's the other way to look at this. If you own your own tile plow, you could put your tile lines in, and it might be 10 to 20 years before you have to take care of that tile line again and replace it. So if I can get Let's say, uh, let's say it is 20 years. If I can get 20 years out of it, then who really cares? It's no big deal. So you can either look at it one of two ways, either go deeper 
But even then, the tie line's going to plug. It's just going to be more years. Or you can go shallow like we normally do, three or four feet, depending on how much rainfall you get and how heavy that ground is and how close together you want those lines to be. And then you just figure, hey, every 10 to 20 years, I'm going to have to replace the tile lines. Again, if you own your own tile plow, it's not very expensive. It's, it's really quite easy. So anyway, those are the two ways I'd look at it. Go ahead, Darren. What's next? Okay. I got a soil test, or there's 10 soil tests here, front and back side of that, and then a manure sample. Just handing them to Brian right now. This is for Evan in Pennsylvania. He said, we got some complete soil tests done to start fully understanding what's going on. They're all six-inch samples, and uh, we were limited to just being able to do 10 of them this year. So here you go. I've got a 15-and-a-half-acre field. I've got a 12-acre field and a 40-acre field. So you can see I wrote some notes there beside him, Brian, about which is which. And he said, I was able to get my brother, who works at a local dairy, to spread some dairy manure on the ground, too. The, the manure analysis is attached. Wondering, where would you invest your first dollars now? After you've got the dairy manure out there, what would be the next thing you'd like to do to see a good return on investment? We're typically no-till, uh, continuous corn, cover crop, possibly rotating tobacco in there as well okay corn and what a, corn and tobacco what did yep. you list any other crops no nope, no nope, okay. cover crop yeah well that's not a crop uh that's a cover so it, now if he's grazing it so now, they're not harvesting the cover okay. only harvesting the corn. okay yep so then i don't care about that at all all right so when i take a look at this first thing i'm always looking at is ph he's got a lot of ph's about 6.8 great we move on I, when I'm looking at base saturation potassium for his lighter soil, he is, he's in the range of 9 to 17 for CEC. So especially where we're 9, um, that's not, it's just not very heavy. I, I We're a little bit on the low side on base saturation K. The reason why I bring up the 9 or light soil is because there we not only have to be looking at the base saturation k we have to look at the parts per million and he, he's not bad he's around 200 parts per million there so that's not bad in a light soil but anyway yeah i would i would maybe invest just a few dollars getting my base saturation k levels above four magnesium to me really stands out you got some magnesiums in the fives that's not going to cut it you got to get magnesium up above 10 percent even you know, 12, 13, 14%, something like that would be good, especially for your light to medium soil. We want that magnesium up. Uh, beyond that, sulfur's really low. You got a lot that's 10 parts per million. That's, that's not nearly enough. So you've got to invest some money in sulfur probably every single year because sulfur's leachable. Boron, also somewhat leachable, not as much as sulfur, but that's down to 0 0.3, 0 0.4 parts per million. So you don't have to invest many dollars, but put a few dollars into that and otherwise most of the rest of the stuff looks fairly good except i can't find his phosphorus levels oh there is there is his phosphorus his phosphorus is really high so we got a lot of stuff 200 300 plus parts per million oh yeah okay so since i see it's that high that tells me we've got to get the zinc a little higher he's got one zinc all the way up to 19 which you'd say whoa 19 parts per million that's really high well Yes, except for the fact that the phosphorus is really high. So a lot of times we want that phosphorus to zinc ratio 10 to 1, and right now he's more like 30 to 1 in a lot of this stuff. So I would maybe invest a few more dollars in zinc. Now, 
One last thing I'll leave you with when you've got those phosphorus levels so high, copper also ties to phosphorus. And you might need to be 50 to 1 or something like that, even 60 to 1 phosphorus to copper, but you probably need a little bit more copper. You got three parts per million on copper, which if you had normal phosphorus levels, it'd be fine, but you don't. You have really, really high phosphorus levels, so you probably need just a little more copper too, otherwise it'll cost you some yield. Got a comment here from Chris that came in. He said, I, I haven't done any soybean seed germination tests or I guess just seed germination tests in general in a long time really appreciated your refresher on a recent television program hey thanks Chris we appreciate that thanks for watching the show and uh, you know talking about soybean traits and seed treatments I once again encourage everyone take a look at some of the new things that are out there some exciting products out there that may provide some benefit for your farm Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.